14, if you would, John chapter 14. I'm going to flip a few places to start. We're going to get back to the book of John here and start a little something about the Lord Jesus here. Maybe like a mini-series inside our talking about John. John chapter 14, when you're there, say amen. amen. Let me wait another second then. <laughs> if you're there, say amen again. Amen. All right, I'll, I'll take it. That sounds like a majority. Um, now, if you're new to the Bible or not used to the Bible, we're going to look at a lot of Bible. That's kind of our way. That's what we learned way back since our days growing up in Staten Island. We look at a lot of verses. So if you need a Bible, we have some in the back. You can raise a hand and somebody can get you one, a Bible to follow along with. Because what we have to say or I have to say is not really worth shooting. But what God has to say is, is everything. And uh, in John chapter 14, we're going to see something here. There are three offices that Jesus Christ fulfills from the Old Testament. Um, in his work and ministry, Jesus Christ is going to fulfill these three offices. Prophet, priest, and king. Now in the past, when he walked on the earth, Jesus Christ was a prophet. He was giving people God's words. That was his primary reason for walking planet earth, right? He was called a prophet, a prophet like unto Moses. He kept, he kept saying over and over again, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And he would say these words I got from my father. So he fulfilled that role, that office of a prophet 2,000 years ago. In the future, coming very soon to a city near you, Jesus Christ will be king, ruling and reigning over God's kingdom. In the past, he was giving people God's words on the earth. The next time he comes to earth, he's going to be ruling and reigning over God's kingdom. All right? And that's coming very, very soon. Sooner than you think. All right? It's changing very rapidly. I'm sitting in my mind, I'm planning things for the spring and next year, and I'm going, hey, man, I don't know what it's going to look like because the world is changing at this exponential rate. I mean, five years ago looked radically different than right now. And five years ago, we'd lament and convention about the government and the this and the that and the that. And now, five years ago, looks like the promised land compared to some of the stuff going on right now. All right? It's, just, it's just this rapidly changing environment. So, and, and I had this chance to talk to a friend, a colleague at work on Friday, and they started talking to him, and I said, do you know why they're fighting in the Middle East? In the look of you know, all that education and master's degrees and stuff like that. And, you know, you can't tell me. And it's just, and I opened up Genesis chapter 16. And I talked about that wild man and how his hand to be against every man. And he dwelt in the midst of his brethren, how there's this millennia old conflict. And you could see like the scales coming off the eyes. And when you see the Middle East getting shaken up, that should shake you up. And there's a king coming who's going to put all that down. He's going to sit on that throne, and he's going to be... You say, you want peace in the Middle East? <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> when the Prince of Peace comes, right? The Bible says, and he shall be the peace, right? Um, now, that's the future. I'm excited about it. I'm looking forward to it. But what about right now? Right now, Jesus Christ is our high priest. He's praying for us at God's right hand. Three offices. Prophet in the past, giving people God's words. King in the future, ruling and reigning over God's kingdom. High priest right now up in heaven, 
praying at God's right hand. And you say, why that preamble? Because in John chapter 14, it looks to me like in that upper room, Jesus Christ with his disciples is alluding to his coming role as high priest. Look at John chapter 14, look at verse number 12, and look at the end of the verse. He says, I go unto my Father, I'm leaving, right? And then he says, and whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If he shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, God's people had always prayed, right? I mean, you read through your Bible and you got, you see Jacob praying and Moses praying and Hannah's prayers recorded and Solomon praying at the dedication of the temple and Hezekiah praying and Daniel praying, praying in, 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 in when he was not supposed to and Ezra's prayers are recorded. God's people have always been a praying people. And God's people in that nation had always had a high priest. They always had somebody since their inception, starting with Aaron, to intercede for the people once a year. But look at John chapter 16. I look at verse 23, the middle of the verse. John 16, 23. He says, middle of 16, 23. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto, or up until this point, have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you shall receive, that your joy may be full. He's saying, you always prayed before, but now, disciples, when I leave and go up to that mountain to pray for you, but now you're going to have a new promise and a new privilege and a new access to God. Amen. Now you're going to approach in my name. So I want to talk for maybe a few weeks about Jesus Christ, our high priest. Because that's what he's left us to do right now. He's up there in that mountain praying for us. And uh, there's one book in the Bible that speaks so much about Jesus Christ as our high priest. That's the book of Hebrews. So if you want to turn to Hebrews chapter 2, we're going to start this this week. And I don't know how long it'll take, but I think it'd be good to look at Jesus Christ, our high priest, for a little bit. Um, I went through the book of Hebrews, and um, I'm not going to make a joke about that being God's favorite coffee, Hebrews, but I'm sorry, all right, I'll be here all week, all right, but anyway, I just did, all right, but anyway, I was going through the book of Hebrews where it talks about a high priest and all the attributes they give to the high priest, and I found, because I'm an English nerd, I found eight attributes, eight adjectives that are ascribed to Jesus Christ as our high priest in the book of Hebrews. And eight's the number of a new beginning. And Jesus Christ would be a new high priest for the nation, not after the order of Aaron, but after the order of Melchizedek. So God was doing something new with Jesus Christ as a high priest. And it's interesting that there are eight attributes of Jesus Christ as a high priest in the book of Hebrews. We're going to look at the first two today in Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood... He also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. 
For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful, that's one, and faithful, that's two, high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor or help them that are tempted. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this great high priest who even now, Lord, you're at your Father's right hand and interceding for us right now. You ever liveth to make intercession for us. Pray, Lord, we'd feel those prayers today. We'd lean into those prayers today. We just trust those prayers today, Lord. Surrender more of our control to your hand. And Lord, realize, Lord, that you'll never leave us nor forsake us and that you're there right now praying for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go back with me to the book of Exodus, chapter 34. If I have two adjectives to describe our high priest, Jesus Christ, that means that there are two points to this message, and there are. Very simple. Number one, the Lord Jesus Christ is our merciful high priest. That's the first thing I want to say about him. He is a merciful high priest. He is a merciful high priest. Now, merciful, according to the dictionary, means compassionate or tender, unwilling to give pain, not cruel. We have to say those things because the devil riles us up and makes us think that God is cruel, is mean-spirited, likes to see us suffer, likes to see us struggle, likes to see us travail. And when Moses wanted to know what God was like, when Moses asked God, can you show me a little something-something about yourself? Can I, can I see you, God? God said, I'm going to stick you in this cleft of the rock, and I'm going to pass by, and you're going to behold some of my glory. And look what God proclaims about himself when Moses wanted to see who he was. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, the Bible says, And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. The first thing God said about himself when he was passing by Moses and wanted to see him, he said, hey, I am the merciful God. And our God is a merciful God. He is the merciful God. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 4. Just one more verse about that. I talk very fast. So if you can't follow along, just listen. Uh, if, you flick, if you can flip with me, great. Um, Deuteronomy 4, verse 30. But I try to preach two messages every Sunday. I just fit them into 45 minutes to an hour. So you got to hurry with me here. Deuteronomy 4, verse 30. God says, and this has got a great future application to the nation when they're going through what they're going to go through very soon. He says, when thou art in tribulation, and all these things are come upon thee, even in the latter days, hello, If thou turn to the Lord thy God and shalt be obedient unto his voice, that lets you know salvation was not always the same because here there's obedience going on in the tribulation. He says, for the Lord thy God is a merciful God. He will not forsake thee, neither destroy thee, nor forget the covenant to thy fathers, which he sware unto them. Man, our God is a merciful God. There's a nation that has crucified their Messiah and spit on the cross for 2,000 years. And God says, when you go through the thick of it in the tribulation, if you just turn to me, I'll take you back. Woo! That's a merciful God. That's a God full of mercy and goodness and truth. Hey, you and I could take something from that because you're God's child now and you might have been turned away from him, but if you turn back, that same merciful God will pour some mercy on you. 
He's just looking for the turn. He's just looking for the heart. He's just looking for you to change your ways a little bit and come back to him. It isn't that hard. It's not a mountain you got to climb back to. It's not crawling on broken glass to appease God. That sick, religious, twisted mentality needs to be thrown in the garbage. God is abundant in mercy and truth. He is ever merciful, the Bible says. From everlasting to everlasting, his mercy, the Bible says, is from everlasting. You're talking about a God who would love to give you mercy today. A God who is disposed to pity offenders. That's what merciful means. To forgive his enemies. That's what merciful means. He's more inclined to give mercy than to give judgment. Even though the devil wants to make you think he's cruel. And he does. And I know you've had those thoughts. Because I've had those thoughts. And the devil just fills your mind just saying how cruel God is, how mean-spirited. Why isn't he taking this yoke from off your neck? Why isn't he just lifting this weight from off your shoulders? Why is he putting you through this? Why do you got to walk this way? Why do you got to live this way? Why does it got to be this way? And the devil just whispers in your ear like he tried to get the Job to curse God to his face. And the Bible just resounds and says, no, God is merciful. He's merciful. You know, the book of Lamentations is a rough book. It means lament. It means complaint. It's all about Israel, Judah, I should say, just getting ransacked by Nebuchadnezzar and the city is burning and Jeremiah is weeping and people are in ashes and people are burned up. And the center verse of the book of Lamentations says this, he doth not afflict willingly nor grieve the children of men. Lamentations 3, 33. Right at the heart of all your heartache, God wants to remind you, I am not cruel. I am merciful. I am full of mercy. Isaiah 28, verse 21. You don't have to turn there. The Lord calls judgment and punishment his, quote, strange work because it's foreign to him. That's not how God wants to roll. He doesn't want to send people to hell. He doesn't want to chastise his children. He wants to give you mercy. But you've got to be willing to turn to him and obey his voice. An old divine said this, God is more willing to pardon than to punish. Mercy does more multiply in him than sin in us. Mercy is his nature. Elizabeth Elliot who lost her husband at 29 years old, serving God in Ecuador. You want to think somebody ever heard those voices trying to call God cruel as she sat there without a husband as a young lady in a foreign land when they were consecrated, sold out, and serving God? She said God never withholds from his child that which his love and wisdom call good. God's refusals are always merciful. Severe mercies at times, but mercies all the same. God never denies us our heart's desire except to give us something better. That woman lost her husband at 29 years old. You going to say that if you lost your spouse in the flower of their youth? You'd have that to write down. I don't know how many years it took her to write that, but she came to the conclusion that, you know what? I don't understand it then. Maybe I don't understand it now, but I know you said you're merciful, God, so there must be something better you have for me. 
That's, that's God. You know what mercy is, to put it simply? It's giving someone something, giving someone less than they deserve. Now, if we all deserve hell, then God is merciful. <laughs> if you're all sinners and God should have thrown you all into hell, if he let you breathe today, he's been merciful. People say, well, how could a good God allow evil and suffering in the world? How could a good God not have killed you last night for all the things you thought? So you got to flip that question around. If God is so holy and righteous, how are you still standing? You should have been whacked years ago and God should have burnt you up in hell. And God said, no, I'm going to save you and make something out of you. And I'm going to give you some joy and I'm going to give you some peace and I'm going to give you some strength to go through hard times because I'm refining you for something better right around the corner. That's mercy. That's giving you less than your iniquity deserves. That's our, look at Genesis chapter 19. You want to see the first time mercy is talked about in the Bible? It's an interesting spot. It's Lot getting jacked out of, Egypt, out of, uh, out of Sodom, getting yanked out of Sodom, literally getting yanked out of Sodom because he didn't want to leave. Like some of you don't want to leave. Listen, I know some of you are young and some of you want to have babies and get married and that's okay to feel that way. I get it. But for the rest of us, let's go. <laughs> you know, you get excited, right? You're like, let's go! Right? You know? Let's go. You know when I finally said let's go? When my son was diagnosed that night, I said, Lord, I'm ready to go. Now, the Lord's extended that, and he's been gracious and merciful. But that was the first time that the, the world finally just became so disgusting in my throat that I just couldn't stand the taste of it anymore. And I think the last few years have been God trying to get God's people to feel so disgusted with the world that you're just like, hey, I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to use the fashion of this world and not abuse it. We're supposed to use it, not abuse it. But you know what? This should be in your heart. Let's go. Because what he has is far better. And he says right there in Genesis 19, verse 15, it says... And when the morning arose, interesting, then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him. And they brought him forth and set him without the city. You see, the first mention of merciful involves angels getting Lot out of Sodom. Now you say, yes, Lot lost some things. Lot lost his home. Lot lost his stuff. But just Lot, he didn't get judged with those wicked cities. He didn't face the fire that Sodom and Gomorrah faced. He was delivered from that evil world. He was delivered from that present evil world that he was living in. Even though Lot's love for Sodom made him linger, God's angels showed him mercy. Come on, you got to get out of here. You can't stay. You're saved. You got to get out of here. You can't stay. Hello. Hello there. <laughs> I'm talking to you. <laughs> because even though God's people want to linger in this world, God's mercy is going to get us out of here. <laughs> so don't talk to me about, oh, we're going through the tribulation. You're nuts. <laughs> You don't know the Bible at all, right? Because just when it's about to really hit and that judgment's about to come and it's really going to get bad, it may get bad until it gets bad. But whenever God starts the clock that says tribulation, we're out of here before that clock starts ticking. 
Because God's saying, I know you might be in love with the world, church. I know you might be so apostate you make me sick. I know you want to linger like just Lot, but guess what? I'm going to be merciful and get you out of here, right? Because God's will is to deliver us from this present evil world. That is God being merciful. Amen? Aren't you glad that you getting out of here isn't dependent on your faithfulness to him? If it was dependent on your faithfulness to him, I'd be with my bottled water in Larry's basement, right? Because I'd be going through the tribulation, right? Because it's not dependent on my faithfulness to him. It's dependent on his mercifulness to me. That's what it's dependent upon. It's dependent on him. What a God. Now, it's a lot easier to show mercy to someone when you've walked where they've walked. I saw my friend Vinny walk in with crutches. I said, oof. Been there, done that. I know I'm not gonna be. I saw Mario. You know, Mario never. I never saw Mario crutches. I'm a little jealous of you, Mario. But Mario had a little surgery. Uh, been there, done that. You know, you kind of have a little simpatico, right? A little bit of sympathy, a little bit of mercy towards that person. I got this student that I've mentioned to you in text messages and prayer meetings. Her name is Fiona. She's a student at Sloan Kettering in the city where my son has been going for the last few years. She's got a very aggressive cancer, and. Um, She's yet to turn in any assignments. I wonder why. She's actually yet to ever sit in my class. She's been too sick to come to school for the last month and a half or almost two months. You know what? I told my administrator this. I said, I'm not going to fail her. Amen. They're talking about, well, let's give her something to do. And then when the report comes around, I said, I just want to tell you something right now. I refuse to fail this student. I said, if you want to put an F down on her grade, you could do that. But I will not fail this student. I will not put that grade down. I said, I'm glad, I hope the, hope the girl lives. I'm not worried about whether she writes a narrative essay for me. So I gave her a little something to do. I'm trying to work with her, right? I'm not treating her like every other student who should toe the line and hand stuff in on time. Because you know why I'm being a little bit patient with her? A little bit, you know, willing to work with her? Because I've been where she's been. And I've experienced the impact of her infirmity. I've sat in that waiting room. I've sat behind those sheets. I've been on the ninth floor of MSK Kids. I know where she's been. So it allows me to have a little bit of mercy and sympathy for her that maybe the other teacher's going, you know, this teacher came up to me on Friday. Did, has Fiona turned in any of your assignments? I almost threw up on her. I was just like, no, you know. I wanted to like smack her in the face, you know. Turn in the assignments. I want to be like, have you, ever, have you emailed her? Has she told you she hopes to get off the oxygen soon? Have you emailed her? I've emailed her. Has she said she can't wait to come to school and she hopes that the rounds of chemo will lighten up a little bit? You see, because, but I know I'm biased. I admit it, I'm biased because I've lived it. So I have a different mercy for her than maybe somebody else does. Now look at Hebrews again. Look at Hebrews again. Do you understand that Jesus Christ is our merciful high priest because he's walked where we walked. That's why he can be that merciful high priest. He can have that sympathy. He can have that pity. Hebrews 2 verse 17, it says, In all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. He said, Father, in all points, I got to be tempted. I got to take the whole kit and caboodle. I got to really be fully man if I could really be man's high priest and man's savior and man's intercessor. So 14, it says, 
For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. Verse 16, he took not on him the nature of angels, right? He wasn't just a spirit like some of our Jehovah's Witness friends say he was. Oh, he didn't really die on the cross. No, he really died on the cross. He really had nails in his hands. He really bled. He really had the beard ripped out of his face. He really got slapped in the head. He really got hit with rods. He really had a crown of thorns pierce his brow. It wasn't like, you know, mystical. It wasn't like he evaporated when he went up on that cross. God didn't do a switcheroo like some of our Muslim friends say, oh, God didn't really put him up on that cross. He switched him and put Judas on the cross. No, no, no. It says that Jesus cried out in the ninth hour. Jesus was the one that said it is finished. Not some imposter, not some archangel Michael taking his place. No, it was God manifest in the flesh, walking where you walked and tasting death for you. Why? So he could be a merciful high priest. So he can intercede for you. Because he's been where you've been. The God of heaven took on flesh to be that high priest. And if you're going to mediate between two parties, you've got to know both parties pretty well. And if you're going to mediate between God and men, you've got to know God and man intimately. Now go back to John 14. Let me just show you something. And let me see if you follow this, like my English brain follows this. If not, you could ask me later. Because in John 14, where Jesus is talking about or alluding to being this access for them, he kind of talks about being the petitioner and God, being the priest and the potentate. Watch it. Just watch it with me. Verse 13. And whatsoever you shall ask... In my name, that will I do, the asking. Right? That's the action he's talking about. I'll do the asking that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So in verse 13, it looks like Jesus Christ is in that priestly role. He's interceding on behalf of man. He's doing the asking. But then in verse 14, he says, if he shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. I'll perform the thing that you asked for. The it is the thing. It looks to me like there Jesus Christ is not the priest, but he's also the power. He's the potentate. He's intervening as God. He's doing the answering. Amen. You say, how can that be? Because Jesus is God manifest in the flesh. Like Whitfield said, Jesus was God and man in one person that God and man might be happy together again. He is the perfect high priest. He is the ultimate high priest. He's the only priest you need because he's all God and he's all man. He can go back and forth between those two parties and be that perfect mediator. Look at Hebrews 4. Look at this. Go back to Hebrews. That making sense? You know what you got up there? You know who you got up there standing by right now for you? You know who's at that Father's right hand right now? A merciful high priest. Fully God, fully man. So God and man can be reconciled. And can I say this? If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, there is no other way to be reconciled to God but through that God-man, Jesus Christ. 
It is not through me. You are smoking crack if you think it's through me. It is not through a church. You're smoking a bigger ganja if you think it's through a church. It's not through your good deeds. You're, I don't know what you're smoking if you think it's your good deeds. It's through Jesus Christ and what he did on that cross. He said, I am the way. Why? Because he's that merciful high priest. He's the perfect mediator between God and men. Now in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, you're going to see that as a man... Jesus Christ experienced all the points of being a man, except he didn't sin. He went through all of it, except he didn't sin. 4.14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. See, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, Jesus Christ was tempted in all those areas. But he didn't fail like Adam failed. He didn't fail like you failed. He is a perfect high priest. Hunger? Been hungry? He's been hungry. Thirsty? He cried, I thirst from the cross. Weary, I read about him sitting on a well one time. Love, behold how he loved them. They said his, his relationship to Lazarus. Compassion, he looked on the city with compassion. Anger, he flipped the tables over in righteous indignation. Grief, he wept at the, at the graveside of his friends. He grieved for the hardness of people's heart. Sorrow, agony, when he sweat those drops of blood. What is it? What could you possibly be going through that Jesus doesn't know something about? That's why he's walked where you've walked. You can come to him. As a, now that's as a man, but you see what happens in verse 16? In 16, he's not a man anymore. He's a king on a throne. You see it? He's a man in 14 and 15, experiencing all the temptations that we experience. But in 16, it says, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. You know who sits on the throne? A king. <laughs> that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. As a king, Jesus Christ enjoys all the power of being God. That one that went through everything that you go through, that one that experienced the heartache that you experienced, the one that was tempted in all points, he's overcome and he's sitting on a throne now willing to deal out and meet out all the mercy you need. He's ready, willing, and able to help. He wants to help because he's that merciful high priest. Why won't you come to him? Isn't that strange? You know, the student I mentioned, Fiona, I can't wait to meet her. I really hope I can meet her. Pray for her. I reached out to her this week. And I reminded her, I let her know that I know what she's going through. I said, I've been there. I got an appointment this Friday. Maybe, are you going to be there this Friday? Maybe we can meet there. She said, no, I don't have an appointment this Friday. I said, I just wanted to know that somebody on the inside, somebody in the higher up, somebody who controls some things, I control her grades, right? Somebody that's got some power over her, knows what she's going through and wants to help. Amen. You know what God's telling you right now in this message in these verses? He's saying, I know what you're going through. I know where you've been. I know, and I want to help. I want to help. I want to give you mercy for your time in need. Your merciful high priest wants to show you mercy. Why won't you come? Why won't you come? 
He's full of mercy. Why won't you come? Why are you bearing that burden yourself? Why don't you just drop it? Just drop it. Lord, I can't bear this anymore. I just drop it. Now, I, I, I mentioned Hudson Taylor a lot as of late. You know what? He came to a point in his life where he just dropped it. He dropped everything. He just said, I can't do it. Lord, if you're going to put me through difficult times, you're going to give me the grace to overcome. If you're going to give me good times, you're going to give me the joy I need to have. Whatever you're giving me, if I'm trying to be in the center of your will, then you're just going to give me what I need for that present hour. You know why? Because he's merciful. And if you're not saved, where else are you going to go to? You're going to die one day. You're going to die one day. It's a fact, Jack. Ten out of ten people die. That's not like an earth-shattering thing. We all die. you got a limited number of heartbeats and breaths in that bucket you're walking around in. And one day it's going to get kicked. And it's going to be over. You know what? You're going to go to heaven you're going to go to hell. Where are you going to go? When you die. I'm just being straight. I'm just being honest with you. Right? Say, where are you going this afternoon? I'm going to go to Chick-fil-A, and then I'm going to go to this one, I'm going to go to the fair. You know where you're going after this service? Do you know where you're going when you finish this life? Because the Bible says, surely there is an end. Where are you going to go? Hey, I commend Jesus Christ to you. He'll take you to heaven. Trust him, he'll take you to heaven. Why would you try any other way? If you're trying any other way, I'm trying to think, I'm intellectualizing it. Just drop it. Just drop it. You know what it is? It's, it's just, it's chaff. Just drop it, just drop it, and just take Jesus Christ as your Savior. You'd be happy you did. Listen, Spurgeon said this. If you understood how merciful God is, oh no, I want to say this, verse 16. Spurgeon didn't say that, I'm saying that. Let us therefore come boldly. If you understood how merciful Jesus Christ is, you would storm his throne. You wouldn't bear the burdens that you're bearing. You'd minute by minute, moment by moment, sitting here right now, you could leave some things at his feet. Sitting here right now, you don't have to wait for an invitation, the piano to get tickled, your mood to get moved. Just right now, you're shouldering a burden, an upcoming surgery, family's wayward, uh, troubles in your mind, a burdened heart. Just say, Lord, take it. Lord, take it. Bear this burden for me. Cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. He's that merciful high priest. He's right there. He's like, I'm full of mercy. I've been where you've been. I want to help. Just give it to me, son. Stop trying to shoulder the load. Spurgeon said this, God's mercy is so great that you may sooner drown the sea of its water or deprive the sun of its light or make space too narrow than diminish the great mercy of God. So today, go out and look up at the sky. And see how big the sky's expanse is? God's mercy makes that look like a puddle. Why won't you come? Why won't you come? Now, the second thing I want to say is maybe a little shorter. You're hoping that. But the Lord Jesus Christ is not just our merciful high priest. It says he's our merciful and faithful high priest. Faithful means he's firm in adherence. He's loyal. He's true. He's constant. He's never changing. Deuteronomy 7, 9 says this. You don't have to flip there. says, Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy. He's faithful 
to keep his mercy in your life. He's constantly merciful. You see how those words go together? He's a merciful and faithful high priest. That's the greatest thing about God. You know the greatest thing about God is not his love. It's not even his holiness. The greatest thing about God is he never changes. He's like a rock. In fact, it's why he calls himself a rock, the rock of our salvation. If you think a man named Peter is the rock, you've been sorely mistaken. Right? Peter's name means a stone. You could flick him around. He's like back and forth like this. You know? One minute he's like, I'll die for you, Jesus. Next minute he's like, you know, being called Satan by the Lord. He's just, he's like back and forth, up and down, betraying. He was like, he was erratic. That's not a rock. A rock never changes. A rock is stalwart and firm in adherence. And God is called a rock over and over again. And it's the rock of his sayings that Jesus Christ said, I'll build my church on the truth of who I am. Upon this rock, Peter, I'll build my church that I am the Son of God. And his character never changes. Somebody said, the glory of God's faithfulness is that no sin of ours has ever made him unfaithful. Woo! Thank you. We need a a shout to Jesus moment right there. You failed him a thousand and one times since you woke up this morning. And that hasn't dipped the meter on God's faithfulness one millimeter. He's still just as faithful as if you live like hell today, you live like heaven. God is still the same. His mercy is never going to change. Look at 17. You see in Hebrews 2, 17? Don't you see how God, God pairs those two words together. He says that he might be a merciful and faithful. There's no comma between those words. God's linking those words together with a conjunction. That's what that word end is. You see, you're getting an education today. You're getting some grammar today. You're walking out of here today fulfilled, right? Right? Merciful and faithful, they go together. They're connected. Why put them together? Well, can I say this? What good is the mercy of God if it isn't consistent? If it's not faithful. What if one day you storm the throne and it's closed? There's a little sign that says, be back in an hour, out for lunch, you know? What if one day God's like, I don't want to give you mercy today. I don't want to love you today. I don't want to help you today. He's merciful and faithful because whenever you need mercy, he's faithful to be there. He's always going to be, he's never coming off that throne. He's not going to move an inch. You know, I got some science teachers in here. Maybe you like science. I don't know. But the only way a scientist can perform scientific experiments is because he trusts that the scientific laws never change. Imagine if they were always in flux, like the evolutionists tell us they should be, if we're all spinning in a cosmic chemical burp, right? If everything was in flux, how do you have laws, of gravity and chemistry and all that stuff. I don't understand. Ask Dr. Jenkins back there. All this stuff that's up there, right? I don't understand that. But you can do an experiment on Tuesday and then replicate it the following Tuesday because you trust that the laws are faithful. They're true. They're consistent. That's a great attribute of God's creation. And a Christian can pray because he knows the Lord never changes. The one that parted the Red Sea can open something up for you when you don't see a way. 
the one that delivered David from being hunted by Saul is the one that can bring you victory in your life. The one that, you know, oh, was able to feed the multitude can give you some bread when you're hungry and in need. It's the same God. He hasn't changed. And when you lay hold on that, that could change your life. If you can lay hold on the fact that God is merciful today, like he was yesterday, like he will be tomorrow, that allows you to call upon him in your day of trouble. Because you know he's always going to be merciful. Spurgeon said, consider what you owe to his immutability, unchangeableness. Though you have changed a thousand times, he has not changed once. Right? Say, God, I keep failing. God says, okay, let's try again. I'm still here. <laughs> You're still breathing. <laughs> Say, God, I, I, I prayed yesterday. The answer didn't come yet. Okay, uh, I didn't tell you it was coming yesterday. But I said it's coming. I'm faithful. Hudson Taylor said, all God's giants have been weak men and women who have gotten hold of God's faithfulness. Just got to a place where they just hung their helpless soul on God. Say, Lord, if you don't do it through me, it ain't going to get done. And the first mention of the word faithful is the faithful servant Moses. Numbers 12, 7. And faithfulness is the highest aspiration of a servant. Right? A steward, a minister. In fact, in 1 Corinthians it says, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And in Hebrews 2.17 it says, right there, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. First mention of faithful is the servant Moses who is faithful in all God's house. And Jesus Christ is faithful because as the prophet like unto Moses, that's who Jesus was, the prophet like unto Moses, he was a faithful servant of God. He was faithful in all those things pertaining to God. Verse 18, for in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor or help them that are tempted. You see, because Jesus Christ was faithful in all he endured during his ministry on earth, in all he endured as a servant of God down here for those few years, he earned the right to be our high priest. He earned that right. And this is not in the notes, but you understand, as you follow in Jesus' footsteps, all you've got is this little window of time to minister. And if you just prove yourself faithful in this little sliver of time, guess what? you get rewarded with something as well. Okay, Christians, that's for you. All right, let me go back to this, though. When you pray in Jesus' name, that's not just a nice little button for the end of the prayer. Right? Okay, I bust his food, and Grandma's got a gout in her toe, and, you know, and I got a math test tomorrow, and, and uh, I'm worried about the Jets, and, you know, in, in Jesus' name. Right? And if you like the Jets, you got a lot of worrying to do. No, I'm kidding. So, you know, it's not just in Jesus' name, like, okay, now it's good. I just, you know, put it in there. I said the magic words, and, you know, it's, it's done, all right? That's not how it works. You're evoking Christ's merit as ground for you to be heard. Amen. You're saying, Lord, I'm standing here 
in the stead of Jesus Christ. And I'm asking this as if Jesus Christ were asking it. That might change what you ask. Okay? Because you know why you got to pray in Jesus' name? Because your name has no weight with God. You're not faithful. You're fickle. You're inconsistent. You're fair-weather friends of the Lord. You're up and down and all over the place. You need to stand on the rock because you're not Jesus Christ. So you need to stand on the rock and say, Lord, I'm standing here in Jesus' name, in his stead, by his righteousness, according to his merit. Go to John chapter 14 again. We'll just do one more stop in John. It's good to brag on the Lord a little bit. I know it's, it's not, too much of a, not too much of a rebuke, but I hope it encourages you to pray more. I heard a preacher say recently that when we get to heaven, we'll probably be sorry we didn't pray more. Not that prayer is your idol. Like it's like this magical thing you do. It's that you just want to lay things at the Savior's feet and see him work. Because it's easy for anything in service to become an idol. Remember when the Israelites began to worship the serpent of brass that healed them? of their disease, and Hezekiah smashed it up and said, it's a serpent of brass, it's Nehushtan, it's a serpent of brass. Like, Bible reading is important, but Bible reading isn't a magical thing that happens to you. Coming to church is important, but coming to church is not the vehicle that blesses you. Praying is, but see, we get obsessed with the vehicle. It's the God who's driving the vehicle. You read your Bible so you can see what God says. You pray so you can talk to God. You come to church so you can be around God's people and grow in the knowledge of his will, right? That is all so you get closer to him and it becomes more about him and less about you. You know what be good for you? Pray something, get an answer, and don't tell anybody about it. That will be good for you. It would hurt your pride. Because sometimes we hold prayer and Bible reading as like, look at my magic wand. My magic wand's bigger than your magic wand. Because I was able to do this with my magic wand, but you didn't. And that's, that's God says, eh. Be good for you just to realize that it's the God of the prayer, not the prayer to God, that really is what the power is in. And uh, I have no idea. John chapter 14, verse number 13. Visitors, thanks for being here. I'll try not to be so scatterbrained next time. Um, he says, And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, you realize the standing Jesus Christ has with God that you can ask whatsoever in his name, that his character, his esteem is that good with God? That's amazing. That's how faithful he is. That's how impressed God is. That's how pleased he is with his son that whatsoever you shall ask in his name, he'll give it. That the father may be glorified in the son. Don't forget that condition. And what an insult to God to see anyone pray in any other name. To evoke anyone else's reputation. Jude. Anthony. Because you can't find your car keys. You know. Dear St. Anthony, please come around. Something is lost and cannot be found, right? You think God is, he's staring at his son. Oh, sorry, son, I got to hear, you know. Okay, Jude, All right, yeah, the, the, not the one from the Beatles song. Jude, that Jude, right? Okay. Hey, Jude, yeah, don't make it bad. You know, yeah. All right, you're the one. Of... Oh, no, sorry, Jesus, sorry. Your mom's trying to get me. I, 
you know, you just stay there. I got to talk to mom. Yeah. I'm not trying to be rude, but can you just take it from a Bible standpoint? How radically insulting that is to God as he's staring at his son with the pierced hands and the pierced brow. And he's saying, that's the faithful high priest that you could pray to. And somebody's going, you know, well, I read about this one. This one's for, you know, St. Blaze. You can, you know, bless your throat with St. Blaze. You can go there and get, get blazed, right? <laughs> It's an insult to God. And now some of you are like, oh, you shouldn't be insulting people. How come we're so upset that when I insult people, but you're not upset when God's insulted? God is, that's insulting to God. That's insulting to him. Listen, if John the Baptist was said to be the greatest man that ever lived, and if John the Baptist said, I can't even tie Jesus Christ's shoes, what name are you going to bring to the Father besides Jesus Christ? I mean, people talk about I believe in the intercession of the saints. You know what the intercession of the saints is? The intercession of the saints, according to the Bible, is saved people praying down here, they're called saints, in the name of Jesus Christ up there. That's the intercession of the saints. It's not people down here praying to dead people who might be up there. That's not the intercession of the saints, according to the Bible. To some people it is. But that's not what the Bible says the intercession of the saints is. We all had some intercession at 10 a.m. We went into the library, and the saints interceded for our time together. On Tuesday night, we have a little intercession of the saints where the saints get together and pray for the needs of the church body. That's the intercession of the saints. How would you feel if your son died in war, but Americans wanted to give the credit to somebody else? You'd be like, what are you doing waving a flag for that guy? My son died to make you free. What are you doing naming a street after that knucklehead for? My son died to give you life. You see, when you see it from God's vantage point, you won't get so hung up on me insulting somebody else. You might be a little sympathetic to God being upset with people blaspheming his son. It's blasphemy. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Because who would you rather train with? The guy who won the marathon? Or the guy who couldn't finish the marathon? Right? The guy who died like you're going to die? Who sinned like you sinned? Or the one who was in all points tempted yet without sin? That's the one I want to go to. If it was, you know, a, a shopping spree, you know, I think I'll pray to St. Teresa, or maybe I'll pray to St. Patrick, and, you know, I'll pray to, you know, if it was, if I, if I could pick, if it was a pick, I'd still pick Jesus. Amen. Because he's the one that's altogether lovely. He's the one that always pleased the Father. He's the one that's perfect. That's the mediate I want to go to. We can look unto Jesus as our high priest because he finished the race and was victorious. Listen, when my son got sick two and a half years ago, you know where we went? We went to the city. Why? Because I wanted the best. I don't want anybody out there on Staten Island jabbing, hacking, ripping them apart. I said, I want to go to the best places. Um, we, got, we live in a great city, and we got great hospitals. I said, I'll take the two-hour ride once in a while, which ended up being sometimes five days a week. You know what? Because I want the best for my precious son. Why wouldn't you bring your petitions to God's best? He's God's best. He's our faithful high priest. And if faithful means steadfast and reliable, that means Jesus Christ is standing by right now to take your call. Amen. You've got a merciful high priest up there who's full of compassion, 
And he's a faithful high priest up there who is constant, unchanging, and always available. Why wouldn't you pray about everything if you have a high priest in heaven like that? You get excited about a 24-hour Walmart where you can buy your favorite toothpaste at 2 a.m. Why wouldn't you get excited about a God who's available 24 hours to give you the mercy that you need? Go to John. You're in John. Don't go anywhere. Four times in the Gospels, Jesus Christ goes into a mountain to pray. Three times without his disciples, one time with his disciples. And right now, Jesus Christ has departed into Mount Zion, the sides of the north, to pray for us. He's up there in that heavenly mountain right now. He's not dead or asleep. He's up there right now praying for you, for us. See 14, 12, John 14, 12. He says, guys, I go unto my father. There he is getting ready to depart. And then in verse 13, what's he talking about? Praying. I'm departing and then you can ask him my name. Because he's alluding to the fact that he's going to be that great high priest very soon. Once he finishes the work down here, he's going to be up there. And you can intercede through him. Go to John 6. I'll show you one more picture and then we'll pray. This is not a new point. I'm on my conclusion. If you're taking notes, all right, on your Harvard outline, you could do subpoint 6-C. Make sure they're all full sentences or it's not really a Harvard outline. All right? And they have to be parallel. If they're not parallel, it's not a Harvard outline. All right, John, if you don't know what parallel is, that's good. John 6, 14. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, this is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. See, Jesus Christ was a prophet during his earthly ministry, past office. When therefore, when Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, future, wasn't the right time yet. So he departed again into a mountain himself alone. Prophet, then. King, not yet. Goes up into a mountain to pray. That's what he's doing right now. He will be king in the future, but right now he's up there praying for us. And 16 and 17. And when even was now come, his disciples went down unto the sea and entered into a ship and went over the sea toward Capernaum and it was now dark and Jesus was not come to them. Like those disciples in the upper room, Jesus Christ has departed from us. He hasn't come to us yet. But he is praying for us up in that mountain, watching up in that mountain. Verse 18, and the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. What a blessing to know that in the storms of life, our high priest is up there praying for us. And if you could listen to the throne room right now, if I could patch you in to what's going on beyond, you know, Alpha Draconis and out there, way past, to, way straight north, if you can go right up there, split the first heaven, go through the second heaven, dodge all those crazy things in the second heaven, split that, you know, that, that icy, the ice wall there, and go through that water up there and break right into the throne room, into the heaven of heavens where God abides. You know what you'd hear? you'd see and hear your high priest praying for you. Amen. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. Merciful high priest interceding for you. If you could see up there, you'd see your faithful high priest is always praying for you, always there for you. So if you're a disciple, or if you're going to be a disciple, or follow Jesus Christ as a disciple, 
you need to come boldly unto that throne of grace. You need to pray in Jesus' name about everything. Because you can't do it without him. That's why he puts that on those disciples in the upper room. Because it's about to get a little crazy for them. The winds are going to all start howling for them. Their world's about to get turned upside down when that master departs. So he said, guys, you're going to need to ask in my name. I'm leaving. I'm going up there. But I'm going to be right at the Father's right hand. And whatever you need, you ask in my name. And I'm merciful and faithful to give it you. That you might serve me and glorify me and live out this life in victory. Sounds like a good deal. Let's bow our heads.